0: Good morning, Rimrock. How are we doing this morning? Doing all right? Nobody's really quite paying attention yet. That's okay. Good morning. Good morning. There's a few of you out there. I'm excited to be here this morning and give praise and thanks to our God. So would you stand and worship with us?
1: Us. Jesus is waiting. God
0: can have a seat and Michael's gonna come up sadly without a song
2: I'm good morning sorry. sadly um, you know after the song was over you all kind of try to clap uh, I said we should give the Lord a hand amen there's a lot to be thankful for right no matter our circumstances He's still in control. He's still in charge. Nothing's out of his providence. Nothing's out of his control. So we always want to give thanks to God. Uh, My name is Michael, as I was introduced uh, by Hannah. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I have a privilege of serving you guys, serving God, and it's just a pleasure to be here. I want to welcome you. If you're here for the first time and visiting us in, in the front pocket of your seat, there are some uh, cards in there. It's more of a, let's see, what do we call this? Uh, connection card. We want to connect with you, so please fill one out and uh, bring it to the lobby. We have a welcome uh, table, and there's a gift for you we have for you. Uh, and so, want to get to know you, want to see how it could be a blessing to you, how to serve you uh, in the greater body of Christ. We're just uh, excited that you're here. November 27th. Which is next week, correct? Are you awake? <laughs> Am I talking to myself? Good. We have family worship, so just remember that uh, as far as uh, children goes. And then uh, November twenty-sixth, uh, they're having the parade of lights downtown, and uh, our campus downtown opens their door and serve hot chocolate and cookies and let people come in warm up so they could go back out in the nice cold weather that we're having. And then tonight. Uh, really, we have in our fall, Philip. this is an annual thing we do every year about this time. We'll be starting at 5 o'clock. We want to invite you to come. Uh, there will be some really good food. Uh, i I've, have look into that to make sure there's good food for you. And a uh, time of fellowship. And also, we want to get some update about what's going on uh, with our downtown campus. So hopefully, we get to see you there. Now, I need you to stand up to wake you up. And You know I do this every time I'm up here so that's why they don't put me up here that often because you guys probably complain. I want you to find somebody you don't know. First of all introduce yourself and tell them, tell them Jesus loves you. Let's go. let's pray then we continue our worship lord thank you for this beautiful day thank you for the sunshine Um, thank you for all your blessings lord upon us as humans it's so easy to forget all the blessings and look at what we don't have yet you have showered us poured over us uh, so graciously your blessings each and every day we're so grateful and we're thankful for you not only in this thankful Thanksgiving season but throughout our lives are uh, and as we live for you each and every day we're, there's so much to be thankful for Lord we thank you most of all for your son Jesus that made it possible because of his death and resurrection on that cross Lord and we're just grateful to have a place to worship you corporately and, and, and come together and serve you in all that we do. Father, I pray our worship, our teaching today will bring glory and honor to you. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen.
0: How great the
1: chasm that lay between
0: praise you for what no one else could do. Uh, God, we praise you for and thank you for all the things that you went through, that you chose to do for us. God, we thank you for running after us. We thank you for your goodness, God, to never stop, God, despite our sins and our flaws. Thank you for this plan that you had set in motion from the beginning, God. We just praise you and thank you and pray that we just continue to worship you through the message now, God, through receiving, hearing your word. We pray this in your name.
3: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hannah and worship team. Wow, what a, I, I'm so thankful that uh, we can worship God together. I'm so thankful for each of you and that God calls us the church. He calls us his people and he's called us to be a worshiping people. Um, Got to admit, like, uh, I'm I'm a little emotional. Those songs undid me <laughs> this morning. You, you have to realize when uh, we come to preach, we've been thinking about the message all week, meditating on it. And so when you sing those words, it, it has so much uh, weight uh, on my soul, and my heart. I'm so filled with joy, but just undone in so many ways. But I am um, so looking forward to what I get to share with you this morning. It's the, it's the best thing I could ever ever share with you and so I'm just feeling so privileged uh, to share this word this morning you know by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit God's called us as a church to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ and I believe God's doing that he's doing that as we gather here on Sunday but he's doing it throughout the week he's he's changing us by the power of the cross by the power of the resurrection he's making us into new kinds of people Uh, for his glory. So last week I was deeply impacted personally by what Nick shared the word that God spoke through Nick as he uh, shared about the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was in that hour of sorrow overwhelmed uh, to the point of death he said as he uh, was getting ready to go to the cross and betrayed and abandoned by everybody and uh, he prayed a prayer uh, that was really Um, important for us to hear that prayer where he said, Abba Father, he had his eyes on the Lord. And and I love what Nick said is that our destiny was hanging in the balance. The the future of, of my soul, your soul, the the future of all humanity hung on the balance that night. And it just, I left last Sunday just so overwhelmed and so thankful that Jesus prayed, not my will but yours be done. That he trusted the Father, And I want to do something with you guys. I want to, because Jesus taught us to pray and and prayer is so important to us as as his followers. And so I want to ask you to stand and what I would like to do is is pray the Lord's Prayer all together out loud. I know um, in some church traditions there's liturgy and there's something beautiful about that and we don't do that often. But I think there's something so beautiful about praying this prayer together as Jesus taught us to pray. And so um, let's all pray in unison The essence of discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus is found in that prayer. It is so profound. Um, and someday I, I hope we can teach through that prayer. But, but Jesus not only taught us, but he modeled this prayer for us. As he went to accomplish the purpose from which he came into the world. And I, I think it's a really interesting confluence this morning as we are preparing for Thanksgiving And this morning, we're gonna be looking at the crucifixion of Christ. And I'm so thankful that as Americans, we have a holiday that's not commercialized, but is at the core of our worship, which is thanksgiving. It says in the Bible that we enter his courts with thanksgiving. It's probably one of the most important things we do all year (laughs) is to recognize as a nation that we need to give thanks. And it's probably the most important thing we can do every day is to give thanks. And so I'm so thankful for the cross. Um, If you would turn in your Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 15, and it's going to be on the screens, you can stay seated. And I'm just going to read through the account of the crucifixion of Christ, starting in verse 1, and we're going to go to verse uh, 32. Very early in the morning, the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. Remember, Nick had read last week. In Mark 14, that they had a trial in the middle of the night. Now, if, if they're doing a trial in the middle of the night, you know they're they're probably hiding something. It's a little bit of a sham, right? So it's very early in the morning, and they're making a plan. So they bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Remember, the Jews didn't have authority to do executions; they had to hand him over to the Romans in order for him to be executed. And this is what Pilate asked: "Are you?" the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist, who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate released Barabbas instead. What should I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate they shouted all louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged, and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers, and they put a purple robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns, and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, hail king, of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him, and falling on their knees they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him, and they let him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way. And by the way, uh, it's interesting that his name is included. I remember this was written maybe fifty Um, within 50 A.D., so within the time where many people were alive, and it's very possible this man became part of the church, and people knew this man. And now his name is recorded for all time, and they forced him to carry the cross, and they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, and they cast lots to see what each would get. And it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And the written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to betray We're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, and he saved others, they said. But he can't even save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So... I've been thinking a lot over the the last week, but even earlier as I've uh, grown in my understanding of of this passage is, um, it's really interesting we come into a place like this and you see crosses on the side, and um, if a first century person walked into here, they'd be really confused and think, what in the world, why do people have crosses in a place of worship? because the cross, in their mind, was the most irreligious, least worshipable symbol you could ever, ever have. It was um, scandalous in so many ways, and I was thinking about this because we grew up, many of us in church, and we're just used to seeing crosses on churches, places of worship, and people wear crosses around their neck, and and so I was thinking, what, what would be comparable for us Americans? And I don't think we have a, a good comparison, but probably the closest thing we have as Americans, if you think about American history, and even here in Rapid City, there was a place where people were hung. And so probably the closest thing we have is a noose to the symbol of the cross. And throughout American history, the noose is kind of a shameful thing. It's not something we talk about, but every town in America had a hanging place, and there's a deep uh, shame, and I, I think even today if a noose shows up, people uh, get nervous and, and authorities start looking into it, and there's investigations. If you remember, I think it was a year or so ago, all of NASCAR was shut down for a while because of a noose. And so there's, a, there's something scandalous about the cross that, that we lose, that we miss, because all these years later, is, for us, it carries so much meaning of God's goodness. We call it Good Friday. But for the first century Jew and the first century Roman, the cross was not a good symbol. And, and Paul, I think, helps us understand the mindset a little bit in 1 Corinthians, where he says in verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness. He says, we, we're, we're preaching that God was crucified and it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, It is the power of God. And if you remember in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Why would he be ashamed? Because the cross was a symbol of shame. And yet, he says, it is the power of God. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles." That word is scandalous. It, it's the word "scandalon" in Greek. It means this is a scandal to the people who hear this message. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, whether you're Jewish or not, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Think about that. Isn't that interesting? So last Saturday, one of my neighbors um, um, had a, uh, a tree that needed to be cut down. And I had told him months before, oh yeah, I, I love cutting down trees. I'll come, I'll come help, you, help you cut down a tree. <laughs> so last Saturday, I showed up with a, a couple other guys, and uh, he had rented a lift. This was probably a 60, 70-foot tall tree. It was a hardwood tree, big tree. And, um, and so we all showed up. And we were kind of cold, standing in a circle. We have this lift here, and, and it, it kind of struck me as we uh, kind of walked into this, uh, this moment that kind of felt like we were walking into a set of the Red-Green show. I don't know if some of you guys have seen that, <laughs> but I just started to laugh because none of us knew what we were doing. <laughs> And we looked at this lift. No one had driven this lift before. We had no idea what we were doing, <laughs> but I volunteered to go up in the lift. And so here we go, go up, and it goes up about 50 feet. And and it took us a while to figure it out. And it was beeping because we didn't have it level, and it was it was a mess. <laughs> so I'm up on the top of the lift with this other guy, and we have the chainsaw up there, and we're starting to cut down these branches. And and the lift starts stops working every once in a while. And so I just you know, in those moments you just start thinking, right? <laughs> and I'm looking at this tree, right? And I'm thinking, okay, I could, I could jump off the lift and try to hold on to the tree, right? Or, or you know, you start thinking about either ways you're going to die or ways you're going to try to survive. <laughs> And uh, that verse kind of went through my head as we were up there. It's like, you know, in Deuteronomy, whoever hangs in a tree is cursed. <laughs> I thought, okay, this is this how I'm going to go? This is this how I'm going to be remembered? <laughs> but, you know, we laugh about that, and I was thinking later um, this week as I was preparing, and and, and there was a church father. His name was uh, Melito of Sardis. He had a great influence. He, he wrote this probably in about 100 AD, so not, not too far from within the generation of Christ. And this is what he said about Jesus dying on the cross. He said, He was raised on a cross, a tree, wood, and a title was fixed, indicating who it was and who was being executed. Painful it is to say, But more terrible not to say, he who suspended the earth is suspended. Isn't that amazing? To think that God who created the tree the cross was made of was nailed to that piece of wood. He who fixed the heavens is fixed. He who fastened all things is fastened to the wood. And the master is outraged. God is murdered. What a thought, what a thought. You know, and as I, uh, we laugh as I'm you know, cutting down that tree and later this week I was thinking about it of, of just reflecting on my own heart and my own life and I, I just thought, you know, I, I'm such a mix of hubris. Like, oh yeah, I can take down a tree, no problem. Like, like there's something in us as human beings that just thinks we can do anything. Like we can, we can make things, we can do things, right? There's hubris, but also realizing there's so much fear in me. I'm such a mixture of hubris and fear. It's such a a strange combination. And when I read this trial, and I read about this crucifixion, um, something really jumps out to me. You know, they have the sham trial, and they kind of rush Jesus, early in the morning to Pilate, right? The the night before, they've brought all these accusations against Jesus in the middle of the night. It's probably like 1 or 2 or 3 in the morning. In the middle of the night, everyone's asleep, but they're having this trial in the Sanhedrin, and they're accusing him of all this stuff. And then in verse 62 of chapter 14, they accuse him, and they ask him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, I am. Such a clear declaration that i'm god i'm the creator i'm your maker i'm your savior and he says and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the almighty one coming in the clouds of heaven and every jewish leader would have understood he was quoting from daniel saying i am the one i am god and i'm coming as king as lord of all and it says they tore their clothes and they said, you've heard this blasphemy. So it was, it was clear in the Jewish mind that, that, that this man was guilty of blasphemy, that he claimed to be God. And so there they are, and they bring him to Pilate, who's the most powerful Roman representative that the Jews had. He was the only one who could execute, who could take life away. If you think about it, the Roman Empire was the... the culmination of human achievement. Um, I, I kind of, a uh, few, uh, last year I was talking to a, a homeschool mom here, and she, she was talking glowingly about the Roman culture, the Roman Empire, and it kind of struck me as like, here we are 2,000 years later, and and, and people are still fascinated, amazed about what the Romans accomplished, their architecture, their building, their innovation, and, and yet, here we have the pinnacle of human achievement, standing before the creator, the maker of heaven on earth, and, and he has Jesus on trial. But it just kind of struck me as I was reading this account this week. Is it really Jesus on trial? Or are we on trial? Is it the Jews who are on trial? Is it the disciples who are on trial? Is it, is it Pilate who's on trial? See, Jesus in His silence exhibited a strength that we don't know anything about. <laughs> because I know when people accuse me, I want to defend myself. I want to blame someone else. I want to I shift the blame. I want to I, I get that guilt off me. That's to be human, but here in Jesus we see something different. Who, who, who doesn't? And everyone knows He's innocent. The Jews know he, He's innocent. <laughs> He hasn't done anything. He hasn't sinned. He hasn't hurt anyone. He's only given life. He's only blessed. He's only cared for people. He's only helped people. And they all know he's innocent. Pilate knows he's innocent. Who's really on trial here? Jesus told the disciples, you will all fall away. You will all disown me. You will all betray me. It just kind of struck me we're on trial here but it it's so different than what we expect because we think of power and things like empires and armies and religious authority we 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 have all these ideas about what true power is and yet in this moment we have a confrontation of powers (laughs) The way we think about power as people and how God thinks about power. I I remember last week Hannah sang a song about God's ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Is it possible that what's on trial is all our human achievements, what we can accomplish? political power, religious power, economic power, all the things we celebrate in our world is on trial at this moment. It also struck me as I read this is the mockery. In a sense, Pilate is mocking Jesus by giving him this, uh, this charge of being the King of Jews because we know clearly Pilate knows he's innocent. In fact, he he says he washes his hands of this, that he doesn't want anything to do with it. But, he, but he's still responsible because he has authority and he, he still condemns him to death. But, but he brings this charge, which is the only thing that Jesus ever answered. He didn't answer any accusation except the truth that he really was the king of the Jews. And not just of the Jews, of the whole world. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he says, you have said so. I am. But Pilate doesn't believe, and so it's mockery that he puts on the sign, King of the Jews, and he repeats it over and over because he knows it's going to rile up the Jews. And it's in that fervor, that mob mentality, that they cry out to crucify him. And then the part that really struck me this week is the soldiers, as they mock Jesus, as they make fun of him and they put a crown on his head of thorns and they spit on him and they hit him and they mock him and they fall on their knees and it just it hit me this week I, I was going on an errand and I, uh, I turned on the radio and, and it was on a channel and usually uh, and, and I just happened to turn it on when they were making fun of Jesus It was it was really strange. Like like I know we live in a culture where where people you know make fun of Christians and 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 belittle Christians, but but rarely do we hear just like all-out mocking of Jesus. But on this radio show, they they were just all out mocking Jesus. And it just struck me as like two thousand years later, people are still mocking him. Why? Where does that come from? Where does that hatred come? come from for Jesus. And and I was thinking this week, like, like, people use the name of Jesus as a curse word in our culture. Like, they don't use the word Krishna or Buddha or Muhammad. They don't, they don't use George Washington or, or other people. They use the name of Jesus as a curse word. Why? Why? Why do they mock him? But then it hit me. If we're on trial here as human beings, every one of us mocks Him every time we sin. Our sin is mockery of Him. And the cross is exposing what we really are as human beings. That the Bible story is is real. That that there's this rebellion. That Adam and Eve, that their their sin against God was they were saying, No, God, we're going to do it our own way. We're going to make our own way. We're going to be our own kings and queens. We're going to decide what's right and wrong. We don't need you, God. And so it's that fist against God saying, We don't need you. We got this. We'll make our own way. And when humanity comes into the presence of God we see rebellion and we see mockery and we say no God and as I begin to think of it we can we can begin to say you know um, and and Christians have done this wrongly I think over the centuries where we said look look how Horrible and evil these people were, but as I was reflecting this week on my own heart, realizing this is this is me too. The hubris is in me, the fear is in me, and you see fear all over, right? Pilate's afraid, right? He's afraid of what people think. The Jewish leaders are afraid, the soldiers are afraid, everyone's afraid. Yet everyone's prideful. Saying, we're we're gonna we're gonna do this. Even, we, even though we know this is an innocent man. The cross exposes our sin. It exposes our mockery. Every time we sin, we mock God. We betray him. We disown him. We abandon him like his disciples did. Jesus said, you will all fall away. There's no one righteous. Peter, in all his effort, he couldn't stand with Jesus. None of us will. We will all fall There's good news in this story. (laughs) I'm so thankful that Mark included a storyline that Matthew and Luke and John also include because there's the purpose of the cross. So the cross is scandalous. It's scandalous on so many levels. But the greatest scandal of the cross is it exposes what we really are as sinful human beings. It exposes what we're capable of, even in our our finest thing, like greatest achievements, whether it's the Roman Empire or our building, our architecture, our wealth, our fame, our art, all that underneath the cross exposes what we really are as sinful human beings in need of God. And there's a scandal of the cross, but there's another scandal And this is why I think Paul could say, this is the wisdom of God, this is the power of God. Because there's a scandal of grace. (laughs) There's a scandal of grace. And this is included in the story. Because if you read this account, as they're saying, crucify, crucify him, Pilate says, you know, every Passover, we have this tradition where we release a prisoner, right? And his name is Barabbas. And think about this. We're all like Barabbas. If, if we're truly sinful, Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. He's, he's saying the human condition is one of captivity and bondage. We, we're, we're blind. He said over and over that the healing of the blind people was a, was a picture of, of our condition as being blind and captive, guilty, shameful as human beings. And here we see Barabbas, who we know is guilty, that everyone knew he led the rebellion, he led the insurrection, he's a murderer, he's guilty, he's in prison where he should be, but here's the scandal. The prisoner is released, Barabbas is released, and the innocent one takes his place because that cross was for Barabbas. (laughs) Barabbas was ready to go with those other two men. They were the insurrectionists. They were the rebels. They were the murderers. They were going to die, and they deserved it. Everyone knew it. This is the scandal of grace, and it's scandalous. I remember one Christmas Eve, I I preached about uh, the, this was back in Minnesota, about the father and the two lost sons, and, and there was a man there, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, I just, I don't buy it. Why would God throw a party for that younger son? Like, like he, he didn't deserve it. I got to know that man, and uh, we did a Bible study, and, and, and he, came, he came to faith in Jesus Christ, but, but the, 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 the obstacle for him was the scandal of grace. <laughs> it's like, how could, how could God let the guilty go free? This, my brothers and sisters, is why I'm so thankful for the cross. I love uh, what Fleming Rutledge says um, in her book on the crucifixions. He says, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved in this in the word of the cross. That's taken from 1 Corinthians that I read where Paul says this, this message of the cross, this word, that word is literally, literally logos. It's the word that's used in 1 John about Jesus. This word of the cross, this is the power of God. Jesus said, Paul said, I will preach nothing but Christ crucified and it's fulfillment in the resurrection. <laughs> you see, we don't just preach the cross, we also preach the resurrection. That the cross doesn't win And this is what she says, it is God's new creative act, his great reclamation project that it is even greater than the creation itself. And so what we're witnessing on the cross is the destruction of the old and that the new is being reborn. (laughs) There's a new creation and she quotes from the book of Common Prayer, because whereas we are wonderfully created, we are yet more wonderfully restored. Did you hear that? <laughs> it's the hope. This is why we say, Good Friday. This is why we say, Thank you for the cross. Because God is creating something new where a Barabbas can be made new. Where you can be made new. Where I can be made new. When I was in high school, I loved to read. I was in a period where spiritually I was far from Jesus, but, but I had a great curiosity. I loved to read. And I remember one day I was in the school library, and, and I grabbed a book off the shelf because it somehow grabbed my attention. It was called, the title of the book was Born Again. It was by a man named Charles Colson. Maybe some of you guys know that name. Uh, but Charles Colson um, became one of the most powerful men in America during the Nixon administration, he was uh, kind of a right-hand man for for President Nixon, and and, uh, and, uh, he kind of reached the pinnacle of power. But in that book, um, he described what that was like. On the outside, it looked really successful, looked really powerful, but on the inside, he said it was rotten. It was filled with hate and sin and envy and destruction and lying and all kinds of corruption. And later we know Charles Coulson was known as Nixon's hatchet man. He was kind of the guy who did all the dirty work for, for President Nixon. And later we found out uh, through Watergate that Nixon had, had done all these things and uh, he was impeached. And, uh, and so Charles Coulson pleaded guilty and he went to prison. And it was in a prison cell that someone shared the good news about Jesus. That Jesus died on a cross for him. And it was in prison that he said he discovered that scandal of grace that he could be forgiven. And what grabbed me as a, as a teenager reading this story is that he didn't try to cover up. <laughs> he said, I was, I was more guilty than any of the newspapers or anyone knew. He said, I was, I was a dirty scoundrel. I was so bad. I was so ugly. I was so evil. I was capable of such horrible... Horrible things. But he said in that book that when he met Jesus, everything changed. The world kind of, you know, was skeptical of, of him, but he spent the rest of his life vested in bringing the good news of Jesus to prisoners throughout our country. But I want to read this quote from Charles Colson. He says, It's not what we do that matters, but it is what a sovereign God chooses to do through us. God doesn't want our success. He wants us. He doesn't demand our achievements. He demands our obedience. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of paradox. The scandal of the cross, the scandal of grace, where through the ugly defeat of a cross, a holy God is utter glorified. That's why we have crosses. That's why for us, It's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of thanksgiving. This is the paradox. Victory comes through defeat, healing through brokenness, finding self through losing self. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Doesn't that just blow you away? That Jesus did not consider the shame of the cross. It says in Hebrews, he scorned the shame of the cross for the joy set before him. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I don't know who needed to hear this word this morning, but we're so thankful for the cross. God, forgive us for our sin. I've been so aware this week of my sin so aware of my failings, yet so thankful that you loved me enough to be mocked, to be spit upon, to be nailed naked on a cross so that I could be set free like Barabbas, so that we could be set free. And God, there's someone here who's feeling a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, but they need to hear this morning that you love them and you paid the price for them, you forgave them, That you hung on that cross that they wouldn't have to. That they could be made new. They could be made free. They're not defined by their sin, but they're defined by your righteousness, by your goodness, by your blessing. That you have a good purpose for them. That, Lord, you're for them. That you're making them into a new person. Lord, let them hear that good word this morning. And they can walk in the resurrection of new life. In Jesus' name.
0: you guys go and celebrate and have a great